Good morning, church. It is my honor and privilege this morning to introduce Keith and Angie Copley to you. Uh, Keith Copley uh, will be sharing from God's Word this morning and give us an update. Keith and Angie uh, were members here at this church over 22 years ago, sitting just like you are in one of the pews, and God got a hold of their hearts. They were doing meaningful work. Keith is a nurse and serving the Lord in in the medical field, and God called them uh, to go as we've been singing about and hearing from God's Word this morning. And they went to Papua New Guinea and have been serving with uh, New Tribes Mission, now Ethnos 360, for over 22 years. Uh, And uh, they're now back to the States, and he'll be giving an update on kind of what ministry looks like now. Keith and Angie have been married for uh, almost 29 years, four beautiful daughters. God has been gracious to them. God has been gracious to us to have such faithful partners literally all all the way across the world for decades. And we haven't forgotten them. We pray for them regularly. They haven't forgotten us. They they love us, and we are so honored to have them here. Keith, it is a joy to have us, have you back with us. Come on up and share this morning. Would you give them a round of applause as you welcome Keith? It is awesome to be here this morning. Let me get my camp set up here. Got some stuff here to deal with as we go along. It's always good to be around Mark. I learned, though, last time I made fun of his singing, and I thought maybe he would tone it down a little bit, but this time, just to be safe, I sat on the other side. (laughs) Akin can sing, but let it rip, brother. I tell you what, it was awesome. uh, I was going to get up here, and, and the goal was actually to challenge you guys to become missionaries, to answer the call to become missionaries, and then the last song, you guys basically finished the sermon right there by saying, we're going, we're ready to go, let's go, send us, we'll answer that call. So I don't really need to preach much, but I will anyhow, just because that's what we do, right? So my name is Keith, my wife is Angie, she's sitting here on the front row. We are with the organization called Ethnos 360, they're based out of Sanford, Florida, but really they work around the world. We have four wonderful daughters. When we were here in 1996, actually, is when we arrived. My wife's giving me the heads up. That's correct. 1996, I worked at Doctors Hospital as a nurse, and my wife worked at the Crisis Pregnancy Center here in the area. And we came here thinking we're here to to join the church, to serve wherever we can, to do whatever we can. We joined a Sunday school class and got involved. I I, got to tell a story just because I'm going to get distracted, but here we go anyhow. At the time, we were living over here in Crofton. It was during the 96 snowstorm in January, if you remember that. It was really bad. And uh, we went, we didn't, we're from Florida. We didn't know you weren't supposed to drive or go out. We went out to breakfast the next morning, treacherously, uh, with Florida plates. People were avoiding us. We, we arrived at a place called the Dough Roller. I think it's called the Crab Shack now, right over here. And we went into the restaurant, and there was one other couple sitting in that restaurant. My wife and I had breakfast, and we noticed that they prayed before their meal. So I got up after the meal. She went to the restroom, and I went to pay the bill. And as I walked by, I said, hey, where do you guys go to church? They said, Grace Baptist Church around the corner. You should go. Come to find out, those folks didn't actually attend here on a regular basis. But through that God-ordained moment, we ended up in a Sunday school class here in 1996. And God started to continue to work in our heart and to lead us towards eventually a calling. Now, I want to explain that calling to you. That calling 
is sometimes, I think we avoid it because we, we think it's some kind of mystical thing. It's some kind of burning bush or dream or, or sign in the sky. It was nothing more than reading the five great commissions in the Bible. Jesus saying over and over again, I saved you to send you. I bought you to, to have you go for, on my behalf and to witness on my behalf. Go and make disciples. I promise I'll go with you the whole way. Through that, we went on a short-term mission trip, came back here, and announced to the class, things have changed. I'm not going to be a nurse anymore. I'm going to go overseas. We're going to go full-time with Ethnos 360. Now, I want to tell you, when we arrived on the field in 2000, we did not go alone. We arrived with a family, another family. We joined partners with them, and we went to the country of New Guinea. New Guinea is a country of 860 languages crammed into the space of about California. If you can imagine that. It's one of the most densely populated multilingual places on earth. About 9 million people. Over 300 unreached people groups. And when I talk about an unreached people group, sure, the Hewa people were cut off from any modern society. Anything in modern society. They had no road. They had no medical services, no... Uh, educational services, they had nothing out there. But most importantly, when we talk about an unreached people group, that means that less than 2% of their population were evangelicals. In fact, we didn't find any that were evangelicals. That was, means that there was no church there doing ministry. There was no one there telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. And so we piled in there with our coworkers and we started learning the language and culture. And when you think about language and culture, and what does that mean? What does it mean to learn a culture? Anybody here enjoy the theater? One. Come on, give me some more people. Anybody here enjoy TV or a movie? How's that? Okay. Whew. I already put them asleep, Pastor Mark. When you think about a, a, a TV show or a movie, right, you have plot, you have setting, you have props, you have actors, you have characters. Studying culture is studying all those elements. We are on a grand stage in God's grand story. And so we went in there and we started to learn the pieces and parts of their culture. And you start with the physical world and you're looking at the nouns that are out there and everything from houses to, to what they eat and what they drink and all those things. And then you start to study relationships and you move towards getting into deeper, uh, deeper parts of their culture. As you gain language knowledge, you can go deeper into their culture and you start to study political systems and you start to study economic systems and what do they value? What do they look at as attractive or beautiful? What do they, what do they see as something that would bring them status? And then you start to get into their art and play and what do they, what do they find entertaining and what do they think about? And then finally you're working towards their worldview, right? And you want to know what is going on, what makes them get up in the morning? What motivates them? What do they find purpose in? What do they fear? And we found out that the Hewa people are, are animistic people. Animism is a religion that covers up most religions in the world. Animism believes that there are spirits everywhere. When you go to your garden, there's a spirit there. When you go to the mountaintop, there's a spirit there. When you go to the river, there's a spirit there. And those spirits are constantly watching you. And so you as a human, a living human, you interact with these spirits by behaving and following their rules. Whatever rules they lay out, you try your hardest to, to keep those spirits happy because those spirits can be, can be angry or they can be happy. They can make your life great or they can make your life miserable. You offer sacrifices to these 
to these uh, spirits. You plant your garden in a certain way to appease these spirits. There are certain witch doctors that become good at interacting with these spirits. And so you go to the witch doctor and, you, and they tell you about what these spirits are like and they draw pictures and they create places of worship to these spirits. These spirits literally control everything. Now, when you think about it, uh, if you can think of it like this, we in America, we, we practice, many of us practice high religion, which means we come into church, we sing songs, we raise our hands, right? We pray, we go to Sunday school, we study God's Word. Okay, let's wrap that up. Don't be too long. Now let's move out. We go to work on Monday, and the spirit world kind of stays at church, right? The spirit world is somewhere out there, but it's just, it's so far out there that really the only place we interact with that spirit world is in our places of worship. But to an animist, they don't have a high religion. To an animist, they have what's called the forgotten middle. And that is, the spirits aren't out there. They're not a long ways away. The spirits are actually right here, right now, interacting with us as real as you and I are. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Doesn't mean they're not watching. Doesn't mean they're not manipulating your life and twisting your world (laughs) just like you want to manipulate them and twist them. The reality is, guys, the spirit world is right here. It is not something we just do on something on Sunday, right? It's not something we just do when we're reading our Bible. We actually need to look away from this concept of high church, and we need to realize we live in a spiritual battle all day, every day. And so in some ways, we saw that as a bridge into the animistic Hewa mind. I will tell you this, one of the interesting things we found was about, we asked them about all these spirits and we we cataloged them all and what spirits do and what powers they had and how you manipulate them and how you trick them and all these things. And the one spirit we were most fascinated with, we said, who's your creator spirit? They said the creator spirit, he's the one spirit we actually have no interaction with. He created everything, he kind of threw it out in a blob. It wasn't that great, it was kind of a disaster when he did it, so he just bailed out, he left, He lives way down the river, and we don't talk to him, we don't pray to him, we don't offer anything to him, we actually have no interaction with him at all. Isn't that the enemy's game plan? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He fools us in America by thinking that the creator spirit is is a long ways away, and he's hard to gain access to. And he convinces them of the same thing. Yes, the spirit world is all around them. But, but the creator spirit, he's the one spirit that's distant. He's hard to interact with. After we learned their language, we started to write their language down and we started to translate. My coworker was ahead of language in me. He's a lot smarter than I am. He finished language and he started right into translation. And he started with translating Genesis. And he dug into translating Genesis because we knew if we were going to get to Jesus, we had to get the creator spirit sorted out to begin with, right? We had to give them a true understanding of who God Yahweh is. And that God Yahweh, when he created everything, he did it good and it was perfect and it was wonderful. And he he created us to be in the center of his garden and he gave us everything we needed. And most importantly, what's what's the thing he did on the seventh day? He took the day off so that he could spend time with us. 
He wanted a relationship. He wanted to interact. And so we started in Genesis and we taught them through that thing. And we, we taught through the entire Old Testament, teaching them that the Creator Spirit was on our side. He was actually there on our behalf. And man continually rejected him over and over again. Starting with Adam, he rejected him. And moving through, he just continued to reject him. The story of the Bible is a story about redemption. And the main character is the Redeemer. And we pointed through all these stories in the Old Testament how we could see this type of Christ, this type of Redeemer that's coming. We can see it again in the blood over the door. We can see it in the, in the, in the ark created at the one door, all those things. We can see it in the lamb sacrifice where my sin was placed on the lamb and the lamb died on my behalf. And it was always about the Redeemer coming, the Redeemer coming, the Redeemer coming. We taught them to read and to check up and to see. Are we telling the truth? Are we telling God's story? Or are we making this stuff up? And they love to read God's word. They love to evaluate and test and see if we were telling them the truth. As we worked through that story, we got to Jesus and some of them started to figure it out. You know what? I think this is the Redeemer. I think this is the one that's coming to get us back. We've been stolen by Satan. Humanity has been stolen and put into his little string bag, and we're being, we're being carried around the jungle under his command, but there's one that's coming to get us back. The Redeemer is coming. And when they saw Jesus, they were like, this, is, this, this might be the guy. He's got the power over sickness. He's got the power over food. He's got the power over all the things that matter to a person living out in the jungle. He's got the power over nature. He's got the power over death. He's got the power over life. This is incredible. He's got to be the Redeemer. And we got to the cross. And they were like, what on earth? Why is he dying? Keith, this, is, this has got to be an error. Because he wasn't born from the seed of Adam, where we all inherit our sin nature from, right? We all have one dad. Thank you, Adam, for blessing us with sin nature. But Jesus was born of a virgin, so he doesn't have that curse on him. And then, Keith, we saw that he faced every temptation and he refused to sin every time. How could he possibly be dying? And it started to click. Oh, this is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is, this is the one that's come to take our sin on himself and to bear it. And that's how he's going to get us back. That's how he's going to redeem us. That's how he's going to bring us into a right relationship with himself. That's how he's going to restore everything that was meant to be. He's going to restore it through his death. They were blown away by this concept of the creator actually sending his son to die for their sin. Amazing, eh? You can clap at that point, actually, not for anything I've said so far, but isn't that awesome that we have a God that sends his son on our behalf? <clears throat> they loved studying God's word. They loved that they could read it for themselves. They loved that it was in their language. First Peter 1, 24 and 25 says, people are like grass and their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass wither and the flower fades, but the word 
of the Lord remains forever. Guys, there are only two things that will remain forever from this earth, his word and the souls of men. And so we spent a lot of time pouring into the Bible translation. We felt it was important for them to be able to study on their own, to be able to check up on their own. As we walk them post-gospel through the key portions of the New Testament, again, they saw how in Acts, God's word changed a community. And this community of believers called the church came up and they started to mobilize and they started to go out. They saw in Ephesians how God's word changed the family. It changed the way husbands and wives interact with each other. They saw through Corinthians how people in a church humanly have all kinds of bumps and bruises and we run into each other all the time. But God's word changes this community we call church. I want to read you a story from one of our dear friends. I'm gonna put his picture up here on the page, skipping through. I just want you to know my coworker is the one that's primarily done the translation. Uh, It's pretty awesome when you think about what we started with. You know, if uh, if I were to stand before you and I were to give you the Hewa Bible in 1996 when we were sitting here, This is what it would look like right here. This is what you would have. Doesn't seem very productive or worthwhile. But my coworker is now, praise the Lord, within just a few months of finishing the Haywood New Testament. Isn't that awesome? It's cool. Guys. Pastor Mark said, we want to celebrate today what God has done through Grace Baptist Church. We want to celebrate that. This this is something tangible that you can say, oh, that's why we give to missionaries. That's why we collect those art. That's why we give cheerfully. That's why we send people out. That's why we mobilize people. That's why we make disciples. I I want to put up a picture here for you of a friend of mine, Gibson. I want to read a story from him. And I know my wife said, oh boy, this is going to be rough because whenever you start reading, people start going to sleep. So just hang with me. Hang with me. I'm going to read you a story. And uh, he wrote us a letter recently, March of 2022. He wrote us a letter and he said, I, he, I, I just wanted to write this down, Keith, so that you would have this to take with you. So I'll just read it to you. Here it goes. Anakiki watano fukukaimowa. Oh, sorry, I won't do it in Haywin. I'll do it in English, sorry. (laughs) Keith and Angie, and I want to add in there Grace Baptist Church, faithful prayer warriors and financial supporters. I want to tell you a story and I want you to hear it. At an earlier time, I was not living under Jesus. At an earlier time, I was living in Satan's net. I was in his prison. I was captured like a wild animal by Satan. And I was living like that at the time and I didn't follow Jesus's path. I was following Satan's practices. I was following the practices of my ancestors and they were worshiping trees, they were making fake gods, they were worshiping everything they saw. The problem was is they were always angry and fighting. I saw it, what they did, and I did the exact same thing. They were fighting with each other 
and I joined in, taking my bows and arrows and shooting people. It was like that. I took on the practices of my ancestors. That's what I was following. I listened to our ancestors. This is Gibson right there sitting with my coworker. I listened to our ancestors. So if someone died, they would say, oh, an evil spirit must have possessed somebody and through witchcraft, they've killed that person. And so we would have a meeting shortly after a death in the village and we would determine who was possessed by the evil spirit and then we would turn in turn kill them. One time I killed two men. Another time I killed a woman. Another time I killed a boy. In my heart, I was thinking, I killed these people, so I'm a big man, I'm a good man. That was my understanding, and I followed that thinking, and I was thinking, I'm a good man because people will see that I killed these evil people, and they will lift up my name. That's what I used to think. But God directed you, Keith, Angie, Jonathan, Susan, to this ground. When you first came here, I thought you were coming to take our land or maybe run a store. I did <laughs> Walmart, they're everywhere. <laughs> I did not understand the reason that you had come, but later, after I learned your, your learned our language, you taught us literacy at a little school, and I attended some, but I, I, just, I just watched. Later, you taught us God's word from the Bible. What happened during the teaching in Genesis, my heart didn't see or understand or, or even believe at that time, but later we heard how Jesus was born. He was born, and we heard the story, and Jesus did incredible works. And we heard the story of how he was working and going there in the province of Galilee. He went through Galilee and we heard the story of how Jesus took our sins and died on a wooden cross. And at that time, I understand Jesus was killed. I heard that story and I realized his blood was poured out for my sin debt. At that time, I saw or felt in my liver, which is their source of emotions, not their heart, but their liver. I saw and I understood and I believed. Oh, it's true. Jesus died for me. That was the thinking that I had in my liver. Later, I attended a school and learned to read. When I went to uh, the school, to, I learned to read the Bible. And I re when I read the Bible, I saw and understood, oh, our old practices of the ancestors are completely ruined and destroyed us. They destroyed our spirits in a really big way. I saw the truth and I happily took it in. The more I understood God's word, the more I put aside the old practices and I put them behind me. I am living under Jesus now, Keith. I am living in Jesus. He is carrying me in his net bag. And I am so happy. And this is, this is a classic picture of, a, of the way a child would be carried in these giant net bags. Now God has caused me to live as his worker. And so now he put me to work and in my hand, I happily do his work. God has taken me back. He's redeemed me, my spirit, so that I should have gone to the fire, but now I'm going to go be with him. Me and my wife and my children, we have earlier would have been ruined and destroyed, but now my wife and I are living under Jesus and doing his work, and we're so happy. I want to say a big thank you to you missionaries and to the churches that sent you. I have a small belum and two arrows that I give to you, Keith, as presents, so thank you. You're going to America, uh, so I won't be sad, but I won't be sad because later when Jesus comes to get us, uh, get us, at that time, we will see each other on the trail that leads to heaven. That's it. That's my story. Thanks, your brother, Gibson. And so this morning, I actually, I actually want to present these, and it's, I know it's a silly token, and you, you look at it, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with this, right? I don't know what you're going to do with it. But this is from Gibson, and a, a guy who, 
he doesn't have anything that he can give you guys back. He doesn't have anything. But he had a couple of arrows. I just brought the heads. And he had a, and a, a little string bag that his wife had made. And he said, I want to give these guys, th- these things to you as a thank you. So I just, I'll present these to Mark just for, thank you, thank you. We moved out of the tribe in 2012, and we got involved in uh, leading our organization in New Guinea as the managing director. Uh, just so you know uh, a little bit about that organization, just in New Guinea, just the New Guinea portion of our organization there, we have 365 adults, uh, so you add the kids in, that adds up to quite a few. We work in, currently working in 40 people groups, just like the Hewa people. Unreached people groups, previously unreached. 36 people groups have maturing churches in them. That means the missionaries have moved out and those churches are are standing on their own on God's word and his Holy Spirit. We have two teams right now, Kona Mala and Malayali are both right currently, as I'm talking, preaching the gospel for the first time to unreached people groups. They're, They're in that three or four month process of working from creation through Christ. We have 33 New Testaments that have been completed, and like I say, uh, this is one of eight that will, Lord willing, be completed in the next four years. So you start looking at that organization, and it's pretty exciting. I just can't believe, honestly, that God allowed us, simple Grace Baptist members, right, to be involved in such an incredible work. The, uh, the goal now, we've moved to Sanford, Florida, and our goal is we will be working with an international team of consultants for church planners around the world. Our organization globally works in about 70 different countries with over 200 people groups doing the same work. We go only, uh, Ethnos 360, our focus is working in groups where there's less than 2% of that people group is our believers, where there is no church. Imagine this morning getting up, turning on your radio and never hearing a gospel song, turning, coming, driving for miles in any direction and never seeing a church, opening up, your copy of God's word to that, right? All those things that we take for granted, that's where we try to work in those kind of people groups. John chapter four, verse four, I want you to read there. I'm gonna just run through a quick challenge here this morning. John chapter four, I'm gonna just start in three and we're gonna, we're gonna skim this really quick. It's a long passage, but it's the woman at the well. It's a familiar passage. It's something you guys are all aware of. And, uh, but I wanna just read this real quick. It says, Jesus left Judea, Judea, verse four, or verse three, left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go to Samaria on the way, right? And then I'm gonna, you remember this story, he gets to Jacob's well. I'm reading off my phone here because that's where my notes are. He gets to Jacob's well, he's thirsty, it's the middle of the day, there's a Samaritan woman there. He talks to her and he says, can you please give me a drink? And the woman's surprised because normally Jews and Samaritans don't really interact and certainly not with a woman. Uh, and he says, why are you asking? She says, why are you asking me with a, with, for a drink? What, like, who do you think you are? And don't you know who I am? And wh- it, what gives you the right? And I mean, there's some major attitude going on there. Read it later on. It's a fun story. And then Jesus replies, he says, if only you knew the gift that God had for you and why I'm speaking and who is speaking to you, you would come and you would ask me and I would give you living water. 
Those who drink from this water will never be thirsty again, verse 14, but it will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life, verse 15. She says, yeah, I want that. Give me some of that. And then we start to see her story unravel. We find out she's got five husbands. She's actually immoral. She's living with another dude right now that's not even her husband. She decides to defer from talking about her own personal life. Don't get into my business. Let's talk about religion. So she tries to throw out some religious conversation with Jesus. And Jesus kind of shuts her down on the religious argument by saying, verse 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah is coming and he'll explain everything. Verse 26, the climax of the story. Boom, boom, boom. He says, I'm the Messiah. It's me. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the one that's coming to get you guys back. I'm here. So let's give you just a little story just to get you into this. Originally, the uh, beautiful promised land was one single kingdom, right? We were all joined together, living in harmony, but eventually the north split with the south and we started to have these fights and controversies. Uh, Long story short, the north uh, actually was cut off from Jerusalem, right? They couldn't even go to their place of worship. And then, so the south is being a big head and and they eventually get marched off to Babylonia, Babylon, Babylonia, Babylon, Babylon. They get marched off to Babylon. You can read all about it in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The south, or the, sorry, the north, they, the Assyrians come in. They take the best and brightest. They march them off to Assyria, and they leave behind all the deadbeats and rejects, right? That's who they leave behind. They also leave some of their own deadbeats and rejects behind. Because, like, really, Bob, you don't need to go back with us. You just stay here and find yourself a wife, settle down. It's, it's all good. We're, we're, we're headed back. You stay here, right? So they leave their deadbeats and rejects behind, and they intermarry with the Sumerians, okay? This creates a huge animosity between them, between the the north and the south. Later, uh, the the southern kingdom gets released to go back to build the temple, right? Nehemiah, Ezra, all that era. The southerners are like, hey, we're here. We're here to help you, right? We want to help. We're all one brothers, right? And they're looking at them going, no. No, you, you guys are actually this mixed up, messed up, compromising. I don't even know what you are, but we don't need your help. And so, obviously, the Samaritans felt a little bit hurt by that, right? Rightly so. So they actually, at one point, helped the, the Syrians at, in battle against their own brothers in the southern kingdom. And because of all this animosity, when Jesus comes along, at that time, you would not go through Samaria. Jesus did not need to go through Samaria on a physical world. And in fact, when you left Samaria, you might be able to go through Samaria, but Samaria was considered so polluted that on your way to Jerusalem, you would never go through Samaria because they were, they were all defiled and they were unclean and they were unholy and they're unworthy. And, And so Jesus would have on his way to the temple, said, I don't want to defile myself. I'm going to walk around. And yet, verse 4, it says, no. What? He had to go. He was required to go. He didn't have a way to bypass Samaria. Why is that? I believe Jesus was in touch with the, the Holy Spirit, right? He knew, he knew what was coming. 
He knew that he was the Messiah. He knew that he was the Redeemer. And he knew that the way things work, Jerusalem was going to get the news first. And it was going to spread out from there. And if it were up to the early believers who still carried a lot of Jewish tradition with them, the Samaritans would have been the last people group that they would have gone to. They would have been the least likely to get the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. They would have been the the bottom of the rung. They would have been an unreached people group. And Jesus said, no, I got to go. I have to go. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God who pursues us? The worst of the worst, he said, I'm coming to get you back. And he had to go to Samaria. John 4, 34, Jesus says, my nourishment comes from doing the will, the will of God. And God sent me. And I'm going to do his will. The mission day of God, the missio day of God, the mission of God, no matter where you look in scripture, is always the same. And it's summarized beautifully in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. He said, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. That is why God has an earth. That is why We are here so that every nation can look to him and lift up his name and honor him. It's his goal. It's his plan. It's what his purpose is for this world. And God sent Jesus again, a missional God who said, Jesus, I need you to do some missionary work. And Jesus went as a missionary to the Samaritans. Here's the awesome thing, guys. It's all about God. It's for his honor. It's for his glory. But we have a part that we get to play. We can actually be part of that mission. We can actually be part of the way the nations are reached. We have a part to play. John chapter 20, verse 21 says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Acts 1, 8, again, familiar verse. And you will be my witnesses telling about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. Jesus went to a place that was uncomfortable. Jesus was a Jew. He went to Samaria. Jesus was a Jewish man. He talked to a woman. Jesus was holy and reputable. He talked to a woman who was very immoral and of ill repute. Jesus was a Jew and he worshiped God Yahweh in Jerusalem. She was a Samaritan worshiping at Mount Gerizim, probably to the god Zeus. She was an enemy, but Jesus had to go to her. He had to make her his friend. He had to show her his way. He had to show no prejudice and show no disgust. He overcame every single barrier that was there. Different languages, cultures, odd practices. Think about it, guys. What holds us back from doing the same? We look at people and we say, well, they're different than me, or that's going to be hard, or I don't like different food, or I might get sick. Or, we have all these things, and Jesus said, I, I got to go. I have to go. Those people have immoral lifestyles. 
We can't go and talk to them. They might think we're immoral. Jesus said, I have to go. He wanted to give her eternal life. Verse 10. You notice he didn't start with changing her culture. He didn't start with saying your religion is dumb. He didn't start with saying you're an immoral woman. He didn't start with all those things. He started with presenting the gospel. He started with, you know, one of the things that's interesting, a lot of people ask me, well, what about, how do you deal with all these issues? We didn't actually run around and topically teach on all the things that were wrong with the Hewa culture. We continued to process through God's word, verse by verse, line by line, and we watched them come to the conclusion, like, like Gibson said, they came to the conclusion that their life needed to change and to become aligned with God's word. Interestingly enough, he says to her, <clears throat> she says, he says, I'm going to give you this living water. And she's like, yes, I am so sick of coming here and working every day. I am so tired of this. I, I, I got to bring it. And she's thinking physical, right? I just want to warn you guys, as you look at missionary endeavors, are there times we need to meet physical needs? Absolutely. Absolutely. We were able to set up a medical clinic for the Hewa people. We were able to offer them economic gain through different agricultural programs. But the goal was never physical. We had to keep our eyes on the prize. And as you look at new ministry opportunities and as you look at opportunities within this community, remember, the physical is temporary. It's only a means to the end. We offer living water. We offer salvation. We offer something totally different. He also said, uh, he says, I'm going to give you this water. And she's thinking, she's thinking physical. I just want to warn you too, when you share the gospel, quite often we think of all the physical benefits that come with the gospel, right? Heaven, I want that. Eternal life, I'll take one of those. Spiritual blessings, yep, check me in. Emotional security, we could all use that. Insurance policy, keep us out of hell. Okay, I'll take one of those too. Peace of mind, I want it. Purpose of life, yep, great. We do, we gain benefit. I'm not trying to downplay any of that stuff, guys. We gain a ton when we get saved. We do. But we have to remember that we're saved for a purpose, and that purpose is God's purpose. It's about him. It's about what he wants to do. It's about his mission. It's about his goal for this. He saved you to make you his servant. He saved you to put you to work on his behalf. Ephesians 2.10, where his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I'm going to race to the end here because we are out of time. Jesus looked past the differences to get to the gospel. Interestingly enough, what was her response? Look down there a little further. As soon as disciples show up, total killjoys, and they start talking about all the reasons why he shouldn't have witnessed to her, right? What's she doing? She's running around telling everybody, Messiah's here. Jesus is here. The Christ is here. The one, we, the one that's coming to get us back, he's here. The Redeemer's here. The one that the whole story's about, everything we've been doing, this, he's here right now. Come, come, come. That was her calling. And that's what I'm trying to say to you about calling. Your calling was when you got saved. That was the day you were called to missions. That was the day you were called to mission, ministry. That was the day you were called to disciple making. Amen? We are saved for his glory. Just want to run through a couple other things here. 
There are still unreached people groups out there. If you look at the numbers, they're overwhelming. Unreached people groups. I, I, I'll break it down for you, super simple. About nine billion people in the world. So if we broke this into thirds, one, two, three, four, that doesn't break into thirds. So uh, if you guys right here, if you guys could just hold your hand up. Okay, so you guys right here, the rest of you that don't have your hand, just keep your hand up, that's okay. Okay, you guys are the ones that are a reached people group. That means you have access to God's word. You have radio, you have Bible translation, you have books, you have preachers, you have churches, you have all that thing. You have all those things. About a third of the world's population is what we call an unreached people group. It's not God's fault. I'll just say it. It's not God's fault that you can put your hands down. It's not God's fault that these folks are unreached. God gave the commission to us as a church to go. And here's an interesting thing. In the last 25 years, 9 out of 10 missionaries have actually been sent to this group over here. And you say, well, Keith, are you bashing the other? No, I'm not bashing the other missionaries. The problem is not that we don't need to minister to you all, right? You guys still appreciate ministry, right? The problem is, is that the fields are white under harvest and we need more laborers to engage with the unreached and to engage with the reached for, for all that matters. Jesus had to go to Samaria, guys. He had to. You and I, we have to go. We have to reach those unreached. We have to tell them about God's glory and how awesome his plan of salvation is and all he's done for us. Why? Because he is worthy. He is worthy, he is worthy for all he's done for us. It's the least we can do. As I stand before you today, I love that, uh, that story in Luke chapter 17 or seven, where the servant comes in and he's, he's, he's done at the end of the day. And it says, you know, the master doesn't say to the servant, well, you know, good job, I really appreciate it. No, what does the servant say? I just did my duty. I just did what I'm supposed to do. You don't teach a cow to eat grass. You don't teach a Christian to make disciples, right? We have to reach the rest of the world for his honor and for his glory because he is due that. Let's pray. God. God, we, we, we are so overwhelmed with what you've done for us. Hearing the gospel again this morning, just, it just overwhelms me to hear it sung and to hear it preached and to hear it in your word and to see it again. I just get so excited about what you've done. And, and you've given me so many benefits of the gospel. It's changed my family. It's changed my attitude. It's changed my whole psyche. It's completely different because of your gospel. And I thank you for that. But I also acknowledge that it's not about me. You saved me for your purpose for your honor and for your glory. Lord, help me to make disciples. Help this church to continue to send people to make disciples. Lord, because you are worthy and we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.